So let me just tell you what this whole series is about. We want to look at culture, and we want to look at te television shows and some movies and, and, and what's going on in the culture so that we can connect the dots to the common denominator human condition. That's a, that's a mouthful, but common denominator human condition. These are the things we all wrestle with. And, and there's a reason why shows take off. In fact, Yellowstone... Uh, I don't know if you know this, is the number one watched or streamed television show in the, in the country right now, uh, which tells me that because most of you didn't raise your hands, you are totally out of loop, okay? Uh, but anyway, you want to watch it if you're interested in a Western. Westerns are making a comeback. Uh, how about, okay, so you don't watch Yellowstone at all of our locations. Raise your hand if you watch a Western right now. How about Westerns? Yeah, we're New Englanders. We're like, nah, we don't do that. Okay, uh, <laughs> The belt buckles are cool, man. You're really. Um, they're like top in the charts right now. Justified uh, is another big one. I think Landmire. There's a bunch. There's like 15 westerns that are on television. 1883, the prequel to Yellowstone, also very good. Uh, it, is, it is a hit show. It's my wife's favorite show, and my wife is here tonight in the house. Say hello to Cheryl. It's a privilege to have her up here with us today. When I was introduced to the show Yellowstone, I was told it's the godfather in Montana. And uh, it really is, because the show centers on a guy named John Dutton. And John Dutton owns the largest, fictional, the largest uh, contiguous ranch in America. Uh, based on, a lot of people believe, R.T. Wagoner in Texas, but this is located up in Montana. And ever since we watched the show, my wife's like, let's start a Waters Church, Montana. Uh, and uh, I, I agree. It is beautiful. It is gorgeous. It's set in this amazing, picturesque location in our country. And yet, against the backdrop of all that glorious beauty of God's creation, you see the carnage of the human condition. I mean, you see hatred and envy and unforgiveness. You see people just attacking each other, and everybody is after John Dutton's land. He's got Native Americans attacking him for his right to own it. He's got land-grabbing billionaires trying to move in with their airports and their malls and their shopping centers to exploit it. And, and then he's got his own family members, his daughter and his sons arguing, fighting, fussing each other. Jamie, Oh, man, poor Jamie. This kid wants to do his own thing, his own way, and John says, no, you're not doing that. And it's really a, a picture, in my opinion, and, and, and let's have a lot of leniency with this series, okay? We're going to have some fun, like, you know, with the belt buckle, all right? We're going to have some fun, but, you know, we're going we're gonna to talk about what matters to us as humans and look at these stories through the lens of Scripture because I want you to give me some leeway here to tell you that I think that John Dutton and Yellowstone Ranch is a picture of the Father and the earth. There's one owner, and it doesn't matter if you think he should have it or not, he's got it. There's, there's one Father that's over the whole property. And it's our job to honor him and live for him. And if we don't, then we're allowed to do what we want, but it's not going to go well for us. We're going to get taken to the train station, and you've got to watch the show to get that reference. It's a euphemism for <laughs> wiping them out. And I think about this. The show is it's, it's led by, <laughs> the funny thing is, it's led by all the people that our culture is presently teaching us to hate. 
the patriarchy, white people, and, heter and heterosexuals. <laughs> like, like, if you're a millennial, do not watch this show. It would give you epilepsy. I'm just telling you. Uh, <laughs> but it, it is a picture, though, I think, of that. I think it's a picture of how God is in charge, just like John Dutton is in charge. And God will do whatever it takes to protect his family. Can I get a good amen right there? He'll do whatever it takes to rehabilitate some people who need his grace in their lives. And John Dutton does that with a particular character named Jimmy. And most importantly, God will protect his property. And I think that that's probably where we need to settle out here in this storyline. This earth is the Lord's. Psalm 24, verse one. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. All of its inhabitants, they belong to him. You know how you're gonna make your life make sense? You know how you're gonna live happy? Here's how. Live in submission to the one who owns it all and owns you. And that's the theme that I wanna go with today. Anyway, John Dutton, he'll, he'll do whatever it takes to defend his property, and that brings us to our first clip. I, wanna, I want you to watch this. <laughs> yeah, you got to start watching this show. All right. The secret to happiness is to live in submission to the one who owns it all. That's what the book of James is actually about, really. It's about saying, Lord, you gave us the prescription. You, you gave us the tools on how to be happy. The reason why America is so unhappy is because America is disconnected from the one who made them. A University of Chicago study just came out. This is a study that's in every two years. Do you understand that they just produced the study, the report, that we are, as a country, at a five-decade low on the happiness level? Five-decade low. Of course, COVID and the pandemic, that had all, everything to do with it. But, but more to that is the disconnection, the, the, the superficiality of, of our culture, the the, a confusion of our age. One person that I read about why Westerns are making a comeback is because Westerns provide us with solid morality. Like there's just right and wrong. And, and, and family is center, dad and mom and, and defending your honor. You know, these, these, these core values that, that bring happiness, family, and, and, then, and then bring in the worship of God, bring in Surrender to Jesus, and, and you've got a potent, a potent solution to the unhappiness problem in our country. And, I, and, and James wants us to know, I'm writing to you so that you will find happiness. But the word is not happy in the scriptures. The word is blessed. Here's what he says in James chapter 1, verse 25, before we get to our text. He says, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be, what's the word, everybody? Blessed. blessed. In the Greek, it's makarios. It means happy. He will be blessed in his doing. Now, James has a brother. You might know his brother's name is Jesus. And one of the things about James, when you read James, the book of James, is that he sounds a whole lot like Jesus. In fact, he sounds way more like Jesus than Paul does. And Jesus said, this is how you find happiness. Matthew chapter five, verse three. He said, blessed or happy are the poor in spirit, <laughs> for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And James 
Sounds a lot like Jesus because he's gonna tell us the way to be happy is not what you think. The way to be happy is not what the world or the culture tells you. In fact, it's actually counterintuitive to what you think naturally makes you happy. The world tells you to live for yourself, get what you can, create your own life, even define your own identity, disconnected from everything else around you, and you will be happy. And the more we have done that for these last five decades, the sadder we've become. Because here's the thing, and I want you to write this down. It's the first thing I want you to write down. God's way to be happy is not the world's way. Whatever they're selling you on television, whatever you are aiming at in your life, if it is disconnected from God's plan for you, I'm gonna tell you, it will not end happy. And that's why when I say that this message is Yellowstone and the secret to happiness, when I read this text, <laughs> You're gonna be like, really? This is the secret of happiness? Because it doesn't sound very happy. So let's stand together with this in mind. God's way to be happy is not the world's way to be happy. All of our locations stand for the reading of God's word. Here's what James says, chapter four, verse one. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your pleasures or your passions. Now listen to these words. You adulterous people. By the way, he's talking to Christians, not, not the world. <laughs> you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is for no reason that the scripture says he yearns jealously, jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Told you it wasn't going to sound like it was a happiness text. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And look at this last line. And he will exalt you. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, speak to us. Even through a combination of culture and scripture. May our eyes be opened. May our ears be opened. May our hearts be receptive. And may we see Jesus. Him and him only. In his mighty name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a seat. When it, when it comes to happiness, it's, it's not living for yourself. And I don't know how long some of you are gonna to have to live to get to that point where you realize that's not the answer to happiness, but you'll get there. Like I talked about a couple of weeks ago, we're always putting something up there as God. We're always putting something up there as the end game for our happiness, whether it just be getting out of mom and dad's house, getting out on our own, partying and having a lot of friends, having a lot of followers, social media, impact, influencing getting a job, six figures, whatever it is. You set something up, marriage, kids, uh, the white picket fence, the American dream. 
I was having a conversation with my family the other day, and we were listening to some 80s music. And I, I love 80s music. I just, just miss 80s music. It's just so good. Sometimes I just say, Alexa, play 80s music. Well, actually, my wife did. So we were listening to it, and a song came on, and it was a song by um, In Excess. And we were talking about the fact that this lead singer killed himself. And my brother-in-law's like, man, why does he kill himself? And we're all like, because you get to the top, and you realize you're still dark inside. You think something's gonna make you happy. Doesn't make you happy. God's way to be happy is not the world's way. And some of you, if you listen up to what James is saying, you're gonna save yourself decades of chasing something that will not make you happy. I mean, you just gotta look at culture in the world and the people and the celebrities who should be the happiest, sometimes the most miserable people on the planet. And you know who I know who's happy? Oh man, I'll tell you who I know who's happy. The people who give their lives and their futures into the hands of Jesus Christ. They're just the happiest people I know. They, they, they don't mean that they don't have trials and troubles. I mean, they do. But they know that no matter what, God is working with them and God is walking with them and God is working through them to make them what he wants them to be. And so I got four points from James's text here on how to be happy. Write this down. Happiness happens, number one, when I identify the problem inside, not outside. See, so often we're so quick to say, the problem is out here. The problem is I don't live in the right neighborhood. The problem is I don't have the right house. The problem is I don't have the right friends. The problem is I married the wrong person. The problem is I don't have the right job. The problem is these people don't respect me. And that's James. He's taking on Christians who are looking just like the world because they're, they're miserable. They're fighting. They're fussing. They're, they're acting a lot like John Dutton's family. They're hating on each other, unforgiving each other, not forgiving each other. They're, they're attacking each other, out to get each other. And then he says, he does progno, I mean, diagnosis, friend. Here's the diagnosis. Sometimes you got to hear a diagnosis that you don't want to hear. Verse one, he says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? It's this, it's your passions. Somebody say passions inside of you. The problem's not outside. The problem's inside. And that is the Bible's number one prescription for your life every time. The Bible will not try to solve things that we want solved. Like this is a whole argument of why doesn't the Bible address slavery the way we want it to address slavery? Because the Bible's not out to reform the cultural laws. The Bible is out to redeem the human heart. And if we redeem the human heart, the culture will follow. But what we, what we all do, and especially in this country, is we all get worked up Every single four years about how if we could just get the right politician into the Oval Office, if we could just get the right senator, if we could just get the right governor, the right mayor, then we will fix these problems. And every year, every four years especially, we get duped into believing that someone can be the Savior. My friend, there's only one Savior. His name's Jesus Christ. And he's the only one. And by the way, he's already been working for 2,000 years to change the world. One soul at a time. Not from the outside, but from the inside. And what we see in this show is what we see in ourselves, what we see in our lives. The rule is simple on the Dutton Ranch. Live up to the brand. It's a little bit weird. <laughs> what he does when he takes somebody into the ranch is he takes a branding iron and brands them right here on their chest. It's weird. But uh, he gives it to them by grace. He says, this is, you're now part of my home. 
And uh, he does this for people who don't have their lives together. He does this for people who are ex-criminals, ex-cons. He, he does this for anybody who's willing to just work. You don't earn the brand, you live up to it. And people come into the ranch, but then they see that there's rules and they see that there's, you've got to lay down your life. You've got to start saying no to what you want and yes to what John wants to do. And they don't like it, so they start doing what we do. They start doing what casual Christians do. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for salvation. Now I'm going to go do my own thing. This is especially true in his own family with a guy named Jamie. Jamie wants to be powerful. There's a great moment where they ask, his girlfriend asks him, what do you want? And he says, I want power. And Jamie will do almost anything to keep it and get it. And then Casey is kind of in a, in a tough situation. His other son's in a tough situation because he married a Native American girl, so he's kind of like siding against dad, with dad. He doesn't know where he is. And then you see there's only one real loyal guy in the whole show. His name is Rip. <laughs> Rip's a kid that he found on the streets, gave him a home, branded him, put him up in the bunkhouse and... He climbed the ladder and became his number one associate. I'm your Rip today. And you don't mess with Rip on the show, man. You, you, you do something wrong, Rip's gonna get you. He's a lot like the Holy Spirit. Yeah, 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 Pastor Rip, yeah. But Rip is, Rip is really like the Holy Spirit because the whole, you know, if you disobey to a certain extent, Rip will kill you. Kind of like the Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit did to Ananias and Sapphira, didn't he? They wanted to use the ranch for their own glory. There's people under the auspices of the church, they wanna use God for their plan. They, they, they are in the house, but they lust for the foreign land, like the prodigal son. Because they've made something their main thing, and, and, and it becomes their possession. And I want you to write this down in your own life, because this is what James is diagnosing for us. When a possession becomes a passion, it creates friction. Whatever you're setting up, that's, I've got to have this, or I'm just not going to be happy. I've got to be this, or I'm just not going to want to live anymore. You've just allowed a possession to become, I mean, possession to become a passion. And what John Dutton keeps doing is defending the land and making sure that people understand this is my house, this is my land, and you gotta follow the rules, you gotta listen to my word. I'll protect you, I'll guide you, I'll change things for you, I'll help you, but it's gotta be my way. There's this great scene where tourists come onto the property and John Dutton's driving his truck, a lot, of a lot of truck driving in this show, driving his truck down his property line and he sees these tourists messing with a bear. And it's a little picture of us. We mess with things that could kill us. We think it's friendly, but it's not. And then they start saying, there's no reason for you to have all this land. And his response is amazing. So watch this. <laughs> it's amazing this show's on television. <laughs> all right. When a possession becomes everything, when something becomes everything, there's friction. And that's where a lot of our problems come from because we want something. We want that. We, we want what they got. We, we want that position, that, that place. Look, the book of James is filled with this in the church. In James chapter two, he talks about the fact that they're showing favoritism. They're giving the rich man preference and they're making a poor man sit on the floor. He's like, that's, 
That's a child of God you're mistreating. Why? Because you want to you cozy up to the rich people because you want their life. In chapter three, he says, look, not many of you should be teachers because you're gonna be judged more strictly. How many times I've seen in my own life, in my own ministry, that the people who wanted to be in charge didn't have the character to keep them there. How many know that talent can bring you where character can't keep you? And this is what God is about. He's not about giving you things before he's about changing your life, changing you, directing you into the things that matter, making you what he wants you to be. It's never about what you have. It's about who you are becoming. Number two, happiness happens when I examine the sincerity of my spirituality. Let me, let me unpack this because I think there's a lot of people in the American church particularly who are in the church but not in Christ. They show up, they do the songs, they sing, they listen. They might even give some money but, but their heart is not really for God and his glory. And they're using like the Dutton family, like the Dutton kids, they're using the name to promote their own agenda. This is what James says in verse two, diagnosis still. What does he say? You desire and you do not have, so you murder and you covet, you, you, and you cannot obtain, you fight and you quarrel, and then he says you do not ask, you have because you do not ask, that's like prayer, and then he says, but please, let's be honest about your prayers. <laughs> let's get real. He says, because when you ask, you don't receive because you ask wrongly. Your heart's wrong. You want to just get things from God. You want him to bless you and not disturb you. Ooh, that, that should be tweeted right there. Because, because there's a lot of people in the church. That's what they want. They want God to bless them but not disturb them. Don't take over my life. Just enhance it. No, it doesn't work like that, doesn't work like that. This thing, this Christianity is like the brand of the Dutton Ranch. It comes with a cost, and the cost is your entire life. That's why Jesus said, you wanna come after me? Wonderful. Hate your life. Hate your very self. Hate your mom, your kids, everybody. You gotta set everything aside because your love for me has to be the number one thing above every other thing in your life. And he says, if you lose your life for my sake, then you'll find it. It's about the heart. I, I, I call it sanctified selfishness. Because we just think, oh, I'll do the thing. And, and here's how you know if you're in the sanctified selfishness camp. Because you came to church today thinking that God will owe you on Monday. Well, I, I went to church I did what you wanted, Lord. It's like the older son in the prodigal story. The older son, what does he say to the father when the, when the, older, when the younger son comes back? He's mad and he won't go to the party. And what does he say to the father? He says, all these years I've slaved for you. And you never ever gave me one goat to celebrate with my friends. Imagine having that attitude to think that, that God just works you as a slave and never gives you anything. That's, that's sanctified selfishness. You can look holy on the outside, but on the inside, you're just as hedonistic as the pagans you point your accusing finger at. And that's the problem of Pharisees. They wanted the glory. They wanted to use God's kingdom for their own glory. That's, what Jesus, that's why Jesus was always ripping on them, man. He, 
He ripped them constantly. Blind guides, whitewashed tombs. You guys are full of dead men's bones because you want the glory and you'll use God to get it. Oh, I wonder who's here, and this needs to be a gut check for you to say, look, yeah, I do want this in my life, but if I don't get this, I'm okay. Like, that's okay. If God says no, I will still follow him. If God does not let me get the marriage that I want, if God does not let me get the child that I want, if God does not heal this disease, if God does not fix this situation, I will still trust my Savior because he's got a bigger picture and a bigger plan than I understand. And I'm telling you, this is spiritual growth. Spiritual growth is learning to trust God when your flesh is ticked off at him. When you just don't want to believe, when you just don't want to talk about it, when you're just mad at your situation, and, and you've been praying about it, but, but really, if we dig way down deep to the recesses of your heart, if you find it, there's going to be a little bit of selfishness there. And the Lord wants that out. Because only he can make you happy. Number three, happiness happens when I commit to the God who loves me. This is, this is what James is saying. I know it doesn't sound like a happy text, but it is. It really, really is. It's the secret. It's, it's why I say it's the secret to happiness because it's not just do these five things and be happy. No. Let's examine your condition, your spiritual condition, and then we will find happiness. So here comes the scalpel. Verse 4. <laughs> You adulterous people. <laughs> Thank you, James. <laughs> you adulterous people. What's adultery? Adultery is when you're messing around with the person you're not married to. And, and this, is a, this is a sadness-inducing spiritual reality for people in the church. Something is your God and it's not God. He says, don't you know that if you f are friends with the world, there's going to be enmity? The word is enmity. It could be translated hostility between you and God. And then he says, because if you want to be a friend of the world, you're making yourself an enemy of God. Like This is, again, diagnosed adultery will jack up your life in a regular human marriage, right? It will. It will mess up everything. It will give you no peace. It will give you no satisfaction. It gives you temporary pleasure and long-term pain. And then you've got to do secret management. And you're just not happy. In fact, this is where a lot of people end up, not because they're committing physical adultery necessarily, but they're committing spiritual ad adultery. They so desperately want the world to like them. They want to be known in the world. They want to measure up to the world in, in popularity, in influence, in power, in income, monetary possessions. You want to be just like the world. And what you have to realize is that you are married to God. 
And this is why he says in verse five, I love verse five, it's the, most, it's, the best, it's the best verse of this text. He says, don't you suppose it's no purpose, it's to no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us. In other words, here's what he's saying. Uh, I gotta put this actually, this verse in the New Living Translation. It says, the scriptures say that God is passionate that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. Look at that passage again. The scriptures say that God is passionate that the spirit he has placed within in us should be faithful to him. Which I love this text because here's what it's telling you. It's telling you that when you are a Christian, when you've got the brand of God in your heart, you will not be happy apart from him. He put a spirit in you, the Holy Spirit. And when you wander, the Holy Spirit is sitting there in your heart saying, this ain't right. You shouldn't do this. You're not gonna feel, you're, you're not gonna find what you're looking for here. You're, you're not gonna get what you think you're gonna get. And then we blow it, we mess it up, we're like, oh my goodness. And the Holy Spirit's like, come back to God, come back to God. That's where you belong. He learn, yearns jealously. Now we think, oh, God is jealous. That's, that's not as negative. Isn't jealousy a sin? Uh, not when you're jealous for what is rightfully yours. See, my wife and I were married and uh, we have three kids and two dogs, and we're about as combined as you can get. <laughs> and uh, we'll go on date breakfasts, because we're in our 40s now. <laughs> That's what happens. You go from date night to date breakfast. That's what happens, okay? And we have a special place. We like it. It's a breakfast place down the street from us. And if I woke up one Friday, which is our date breakfast day, and I said, what are you doing? And she goes, oh, I'm going to breakfast. Oh, okay, I'll come. No, no, no. Oh, why not? Oh, I'm going with another guy. Uh, who? Who, what? Oh, no, 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 you are the every other week breakfast date guy. This is my other week breakfast date guy. As a husband, wouldn't I have the absolute righteous right to burn to be ticked. Now Cheryl doesn't do that, so don't start looking at her accusingly. <laughs> well, wouldn't I have that? I mean, seriously, when I have oh, and no one would fault me for that. In fact, you would say, that's a good husband. That's a good husband. He loves his wife, doesn't want to share with anybody. Listen, this is what a good God is. Someone that don't want to share you with anybody. He loves you. He wants you. He wants you to be close to him. That's what the Spirit of God does inside of us. He refuses to let us be happy outside his will and purpose. So you gotta write this down, a little, little play on our cultural epitaphs today. God sees our relationship like a marriage, not friends with benefits. There's <laughs> so many Christians that want that kind of relationship with God, friends with benefits. I'll go cheat on you, Lord, but you know, I know you'll be gracious enough to forgive me, so if you could just give me a couple of weeks off and I'll just serve the flesh for a while and come back. No, 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 no. It's marriage, man. We're the bride of Christ. He is the bridegroom. When Paul talks to the Galatians, he weeps over them. He says, listen, I, I, I committed you to one husband. That's, you're, you're committed to him. It's Christ and Christ alone. And, and, and anybody who's truly in Christ 
cannot be happy in sin because the Spirit of God will jealously burn in them and bring them back to him every single time. Now, there is one particular character on the show Yellowstone that I absolutely love, other than Rip. Uh, his name is Jimmy. Jimmy is a former con. He's uh, in and out of jail. He's a drug addict. He's an orphan. He's got no life. He's living in a trailer. I think he's doing meth. And because of some agreement that John Dutton made with his father, early on in the show, you don't have to get very far into it, John sends Rip to go rescue Jimmy out of his life. And Jimmy doesn't want to go. <laughs> it's a lot like some of us. We didn't want to become Christians, and the Lord just said, no, you're going to become a Christian. <laughs> and uh, he pulls him out of that trailer, and he puts him onto the ranch, and he brands him. But Jimmy's old nature is still in him, and he keeps trying to do his own thing. And he tries to go and ride bucking broncos to make money on the side, and he breaks his word, and he's dishonest, and costs him. He almost dies. He almost dies because of his own foolishness. A lot like many, many Christians. And uh, so to fix Jimmy, be because of the agreement that John Dutton had with Jimmy's father, John Dutton doesn't kill him, doesn't bring him to the train station. He decides he's going to train him. So he sends him down to Texas to a ranch called the Four Sixes, 6666, and uh, the Sixes Ranch. Sends him down there, and he's going to learn how to become a proper cowboy because the love or the, the vow, the commitment that John Dutton has made to his father compels him not to punish him, but to transform him. And so this scene is particularly precious. He arrives on this Sixes Ranch, and he's not even sure what, he, what he's doing there and what, he's wanting, what he wants to become. Watch this. You can't be happy if you're not doing what the Lord has made you to do. This is why John will say, 1 John 2, 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. And then he makes this qualifier. If anybody loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, now I'm not, he's not saying don't love people. Of course we love people. We're even called in Scripture to love our enemies. We're called, we're called to bless those who hate us and persecute us. But he's talking about the systems of this world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Our culture has made a virtue out of pride. It's every year, celebrate pride. Like, wait, what? This has totally changed, totally upended the scriptural truth that here's who God listens to. Someone who humbles themselves doesn't brag about themselves, lays down what they want and becomes what he wants. Which brings me to number four. Happiness happens when I surrender to the God who loves me. See, the difference between a churchgoer and those in Christ is one word. Here it is, surrender. Give up. You know why we raise our hands in church? You know why we do that? You know why we, at the end of our services at all of our locations, we ask people to raise their hand as, if they said the prayer to say yes to Jesus? You know why we do that? Because the universal symbol of surrender is? And the funny thing is, is the symbol of surrender is also another symbol. When our sports team wins, what do we do? 
it's kind of ironic that the same symbol for surrender is the symbol for victory. Here's why. Because the moment that you surrender to Jesus, you win. You win, you become a victor in Christ. You win over the flesh, the hell, the devil, and even your own stubborn, sick self. Which is why James does not close on a bad note. This is not a bad note. This is a hopeful note. He says in verse 6, he gives more grace. How many of you loves you some more grace? He says, look, therefore, it says, God opposed to the proper gives grace to the humble. Submit or surrender. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Listen, some of you are trying to resist the devil, but you're not yet submitted to God. And you can't properly resist the devil until you submit to God. You've got to stay no to you and yes to him. And then the victory starts to happen. There's this moment in Acts 19 where the guy's trying to cast out the name, the cast out the demons in the name of Paul, uh, in, of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. This is high priest's sons. And he says, oh, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, cast you out, cast you out. And the demons talks back to them. He says, Paul, I know. And Jesus, I know. But who are you? And he jumps on the guy and beats them to a pulp because they tried to have this third-party relationship to Jesus. And they had no victory over the devil. You've got to surrender to God to get victory over the devil. Or as the great preacher Adrian Rogers once said, you've got to get under what God has put over you to get over what God has put under you. I'll say it again. You gotta get under what God has put over you to get over what God has put under you. And you'll never have spiritual victory until you're surrendered, I'm just telling you. And please beware of this, Christians. You will have a lot of mater material victory without surrender to God, and it'll, you know, it, it might mess with you. It might play with you to make you think you're actually on the right course, but it's, actually it's not surrender, it's just sanctified selfishness. You gotta, you gotta say no to that. This, what's the answer? Okay, here's the answer. Are you ready for it? Verse eight, draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. I love that verse. I tell you that that is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. Why? Because it tells me that I am as close to God as I wanna be right now. You draw close to God, he will draw near to you. That's the promise. But the problem is we don't know how to draw near. Good news, James gives us the solution. Here's how you draw near. Ready? Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Admit you've, you've messed up. Admit you're wrong. That's what becoming a Christian is. It's not going to church. It's not reading the Bible. It's not singing the songs. It's admitting you're wrong. And he's right. And this is his ranch, not yours. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And then purify your hearts, you double-minded. Don't try to serve the Lord and the world. Be wretched and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Why is that there? You know, there's, a, there's a phrase that clears this up for us in Ecclesiastes. When Solomon says, it's better for you to go to a house of mourning than to a party. Better to go to a funeral than to a wedding. Why? Here's why, ready? Because at a funeral, we ask more important questions. At a wedding, we're like, who made that dress? 
and how did he manage to snag her? And how come they didn't ask me to be in the wedding? And I wonder what's for dinner. I wonder how long these pictures are gonna take. How long do we have to stay before we're rude to walk out of the reception? Come on, those are the questions we ask. At a funeral we say, where am I going after I'm dead? Where do I stand with God? Because here's the deal. The moment you surrender to Jesus, he fills you with the joy of salvation. That's why James sums it up in verse 10. He says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Oh, I love this moment in the, in the show when Jimmy finally comes back from the Sixes Ranch and he's been made a cowboy and he's got his life right. And on top of it, he's got a girl and he's gonna get married, but he knows that he owes John Dutton big time. He blew it and he's not gonna do that again. And so he makes his way sheepishly back to John Dutton and they have this powerful conversation. There's a picture of us when we come to God. And watch, watch this clip, and, and then I'll sum it up for you in the end. Check this out. i tell you why that's my favorite scene, because what John Dutton says to Jimmy in that moment, you don't owe me a thing, is what God says to every sinner who repents and turns to him. You don't work off your debt to God. Jesus already paid it all. And if you look real hard at this church, you'll find a lot of people like Jimmy who messed it up and went their own way and did their own thing. And the Holy Spirit wouldn't let them get away with it. And the Father had to discipline them and bring them in and change them. One of them is our location pastor, Brandon, down in Guatemala, who I've told you on many occasions used to come to our church drunk or hungover. Did not listen. I don't know why he was here. Wasn't listening. Walked out as soon as the service was over. But one of those days, I said, raise your hand and surrender, and he did. And you know, it's stories like that. It's stories like his that give me hope for almost anybody. Because today, on the way to church, I get a text from him, and I get a picture. Do we have that picture? We'll put it up here on the screen. And he sent me this picture with the words, we just offered the gospel to a huge orphanage last night for the first time. And this morning we baptized 14 people. And then he said, these poor girls were impregnated by their fathers and then sold into prostitution. These orphan parents truly love God and are now raising their children, but they have never offered their kids the gospel. Well, now, 80% of the orphanage has been saved and baptized. Then he says this little line. This little line. I'm like, man, that's perfect for today. He said, I'm happy and sad at the same time. Happy because the... The gospel is making a change in people's hearts, but it's so sad to watch what people do to each other. And if we'll just surrender, if people will just surrender, if you'll just surrender, and stop worrying about the problems outside of you and worry about this and give this to God, 
He'll turn your mourning into dancing. This next picture, I love this. In the pouring rain, they were baptizing. Can we put that picture up? Pouring rain, baptizing orphans. Let me just give you the sermon in a sentence. Write it down. Happiness happens when I live committed and close to God, allowing him to lead my life. Happiness will never happen from outside. I'm telling you right now. And I am, if you will listen to me, trying to save you decades off your life of misery and chasing and thinking that something can give you what God alone freely offers you. A past forgiven, a future in heaven, and a purpose for living. Living on his ranch.